Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. If you got your Bible, say, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Well, while you guys are turning, let's pray one more time. Father, we just thank you for today. God, we thank you that you're a good God. God, you're so good. Father, thank you that you are uh, still moving in this day and this hour. Father, we thank you, God, that you have not um, forgotten about us. But, Lord, you're still so engaged and so personal. God, you know uh, literally every little thing, God. That you, in fact, Lord, you don't miss a thing. And so, Lord, we just pray today, God, that your anointing would just come and just sit in this house. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. We magnify you today. And we ask that you would just come and teach us today. In fact, we open up our hearts wide uh, to meet you in the middle, God, so you can do what you desire to do in us. So, Lord, today we just choose to hear your word and to hear it by faith and uh, not have to, to understand everything. But, God, just to acknowledge that you said what you meant to say and you meant what you said. So, Father, thank you for your presence and your anointing here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, let's, listen, this morning we're going to dive into the ninth part. Somebody say ninth part. There is an end to this, okay, so, but it's coming. So the ninth part of our current series. And uh, if you remember when, when we began this series, uh, you know, quite a while ago, uh, we, we actually talked about how uh, all throughout the Bible that God compares or he likens our lives as believers to a building. Can somebody say a building? Now, we all know that the first and foremost important feature of any building is its foundation. And, uh, you know, the thing that I keep trying to stress again and again to you is I want you to understand that, that it's no different with your own life. Your foundation, your spiritual foundation is the first and foremost important piece of your life. Amen? So, uh, l- listen, if, um, if I was going to say it another way, I would just say it this way. That, that if you and I want to be the kind of people that know God in an intimate way, if we want to be the kind of people that find and live in freedom, if we want to be the kind of people uh, that, that literally discovers and walks in purpose, if we want to be the kind of people that makes a difference in this world for the kingdom of God, then we are going to need a solid biblical foundation. Amen? Uh, but let me maybe stress something really quick because my heart keeps getting turned in a certain way. Um, I, I want us to understand that, that we could uh, quote the Bible backwards and forward, but if that's all we ever know is just something in a book, and we never really know God, if we've never had an experience with God, uh, we're still missing out. So, so don't get it wrong. That, that foundation, yes, is, is biblical knowledge, but foundation is also a biblical experience. Are you all with me today? Yes. So, so listen, that there comes a time in our life where what we know about God and, and then our experience with God has to collide. Amen? It's a great place to say amen, all right? All right. So, listen, let me maybe say it this way. In fact, I was just thinking about this. That, that it makes no sense for a person who has a 100-square-foot foundation to expect to live a 10,000-square-foot spiritual life. Are you with me? So, so to understand, just as we're processing things today, understand this, that when all is said and done, the outcome of our life will ultimately be determined by the quality of our foundation. Yes? So, l- listen, I told you guys this story, um, man, I don't know, two months ago, something like that. I had an opportunity to go out to one of the islands here, and, we, and while we were driving around one of the islands, it was, um, it was North Haven, while we were driving there... Um, we pulled up this beautiful house, and, and as we went by the house, I turned around and looked, and the back of the house was sagging and about to literally fall in the ocean, right? So, so listen, that, that building started really well, but the outcome was determined by its foundation. Are you all with me? 
Amen. So listen, because we know these things are true, uh, we've intentionally said, okay, let's step back. Let's look at the basics. Let's look at, uh, at what the Bible calls our biblical foundations because we know that, guess what, that we, want, we don't want to be those 100-square-foot people trying to live a 10,000-square-foot life. We want a 10,000-square-foot foundation so we can live a 10,000-square-foot life. Amen? So, so anyway, so we've take, uh, taken a look at Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 again and again and again and again. One more time, let's look at that list. Uh, Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, we have uh, repentance from dead works. We spent uh, quite a bit of time talking about what real repentance is. The second thing we talked about was having faith towards God. What, In other words, what real, authentic, genuine faith, what we as believers put our faith in. Thirdly, we talked about baptisms. Fourthly, uh, we talked about the doctrine or the teaching of laying on of hands. That's very biblical, okay? Now, I told you a few weeks ago what we were going to do with the last two, where it's uh, resurrection of the dead and eternal uh, judgments. What's, what we're going to do is we're going to condense those two into one subject, and that subject is this. It's eternity. Somebody say eternity. So two weeks ago, uh, we dove off into that. Uh, if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast because I don't have time to cover everything that I, that I wish I had time to recap today to kind of bring everybody up to speed. There's a few things I'm going to say, uh, but if you feel like you're missing some parts, go check out the podcast. All right? All right? Awesome. So let's start here today, okay? So throughout the Bible, basically, God encourages all of us uh, to live with eternity in mind. In other words, that God literally instructs us again and again and again in the Word not to live with just 70, 80, 90 years in mind. In other words, He continually uh, doesn't say, you know, you need to store up for what's here. No, He says you need to store up for what's there, right? We all know that. And one of the reasons that God stresses that so much to us all throughout the Bible is because there's going to come a day where every person, Christian and non-Christian, are judged. Isn't that true? In fact, I, I love the scripture. It's where I want to start today in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to look at verses 31 through 34 and then bump down to a few other verses. But Jesus actually tells us in this passage of scripture uh, how that event of where we are judged, he's going to tell us how it's going to go down. So let, let me, in fact, before I start reading this, uh, Michael, can you go ahead and come up here with me and help me out? Uh, Ralph, go ahead and come up here and help me out, please. He's looking at me like I'm crazy. Come on. Sorry, you're my father-in-law. You got to do this stuff. <laughs> So, so listen, let's look at this. If you're at the verse, say, oh, yeah. All right. 25 verse 31. It says this it says, but when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. Verse 32, it says, all the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This says in verse 33, it says he will place the sheep, which the sheep we know represent who? Represent believers, Christians, okay? That's who the sheep represent. That he will literally put them at his right hand. You pick the good side, all right? And then it says he'll take the goat. Sorry, Michael, you pick the side. It, it, it represents the... <laughs> It represents the unbelievers, okay? So he literally takes the goats and he puts them at his left, okay? And then it says in verse 34, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, the believers, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Now let's skip down to verse 41. It says, Then the king will turn to those on his left, the goats, the unbelievers, and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire. Roll on down to verse 46. And then it says this about both of them. It says, And they, talking about the goats, will go away into eternal punishment. We all know that's hell. And then it says, But the righteous, the sheep, will go into eternal life. That is heaven. If you're with me, say, Oh, yeah. All right, so... I want to, I want us to sit here for a second. I want us to unpack this, okay? And some of these things I said the other day, but I want to insert a few different pieces, okay? 
So kind of get this idea in your, in your head, get this picture, that when we die, once again, every person, Christian, non-Christian, every one of us will stand in front of Jesus, okay? At that moment, we will not stand in front of our families. We will not stand in front of our friends. Thankfully, we will not stand in front of our enemies, but we will stand in front of Jesus and Jesus alone, and at that moment, he will judge us. Isn't that correct? Now, now I have to say this because there's this uh, stuff that's been taught for years and years and years. And so people in the church, even people outside the church, when they hear the word judgment, they just freak out. And, and, and they have this perception of God of just him being this big angry guy that's just ready and willing and itching just to drop the hammer on people. Uh, but that's not the case. As I told you two weeks ago, uh, the word judgment simply means this. It means a decision resulting from an investigation. A decision, a decision resulting from an investigation. So what's going to happen is when we die, like these fellows right here, uh, what's going to happen is Jesus is going to come and he's going to investigate our lives. Now, watch this. The first phase of this uh, investigation will determine what we did with the gospel. Did we believe it or did we not believe it? In other words, in our heart, do we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin birth? Do we believe that Jesus, guess what, lived a sinless life for 33 years, then died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice, and then three days later he rose again? Did we believe in that? Yes or no. And by believe, I don't mean that we just had a simple, yep, I know that was true, because the Bible says the demons believe and tremble. There's something about when we say, do we believe? In other words, do we put our trust in? Do we put our hope in? Do we put our confidence? Have we surrendered to that and said, yes, I believe that wholeheartedly and I commit my life to it. In other words, if I can say it this way, uh, you know, did we make Jesus the Lord and Savior of our lives or not? Did we give him ownership of our lives or do we try to, you know, hold on to it ourselves? Uh, did we surrender to his will or not? Are you all with me? So it's after that first phase of the investigation that that will determine uh, basically what's going to happen. In fact, after that investigation, he divides us in two groups. That's what we just read there in Matthew 25. Once again, the sheep go to the right. Uh, the goats go to the left. And, and the reason that these guys are divided is because they're going to be judged differently. Now, here's what you got to understand. At that moment when, when he divides us, uh, basically our, our final destination is already determined. In other words, there, there's nobody that's in the sheep line that God's going to say, well, I made a mistake, go to the goat line, and vice versa. Once it's there, it's there, all right? So let's focus on the first group first, all right? Jesus called these guys the sheep. Obviously, once again, they represent the believers. And uh, these guys will stand, get this, before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, when they say before the judgment seat of Christ, this is where the second phase of the investigation begins. And what, the, what God's looking for at this moment is how did he live his life? In other words, he's looking for his righteous deeds at this moment. Are you all with me? The Bible says this in Romans fourteen twelve. Please don't miss this. It's the Apostle Paul talking. He said, yes, each one of us or each of us will give a personal account to God. Somebody say personal account. So listen, so in this moment, once again, we'll give account of our actions, we'll give account of our words, we'll give an account for our, our motives, our secret thoughts, and even the intentions of our heart. At this moment, once again, we're standing there before the Lord Jesus, and we've got to give an account for that. Y'all with me? That's not something we should take lightly. Amen? So listen, the, the outcome of this investigation that, that, that Jesus will do, the second part, is ultimately what uh, will determine the degree or the measure of the eternal re reward that Ralph or a believer or a Christian will receive. So in other words, we all understand this, that when the lines were divided, that automatically his ultimate reward was he was going to go to heaven. Right? We all see that. 
But, but the second part of this investigation determines how he enters into heaven, of how he spends eternity. The Apostle Paul talks about a, a full reward. And then uh, he also talks about, basically, obviously, if there's a full reward, there can, must be a, a partial reward. And then the Bible also uh, gives us an example in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 of someone who enters heaven with no reward. Are you all following me today? So it's significant how we live this life. Amen? It means something. All right. In fact, Paul spoke about this moment uh, in, in 2 Timothy 4.8. He said this. He said, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He says, will give to me on that day and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Isn't that awesome? You know, if, if you look to understand that the Bible says that, yes, we'll receive a crown. But I love the picture that talks about Revelation, that when the day that we meet him, encounter him, we're going to throw that crown down at his feet. and We're going to worship him. Amen. We're going to understand that ultimately, yes, it means nothing. We just get to hang out with him. All right. That's the first group. Let's go to the second group. It's getting hot in here. All right. <laughs> so Jesus called these guys the goats. All right. Uh, once again, they represent the unbelievers, and they will stand before what the Bible calls is the great white uh, throne of judgment. Okay, And this is where uh, the second phase will commence for him, and now he's going to give uh, a personal account uh, of how he lived his life. Once again, we're looking at righteous deeds, now we're looking at evil deeds. Are you all tracking? Listen, the Apostle John wrote this in Revelation 20, verse 11. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today, a lot more than normal. Uh, but he says this, he says, and I saw the great white throne and one sitting on it. Verse 12 says, I saw the dead. Who's the dead? He's not talking about just physically dead. In the scripture, he's talking about those who are spiritually dead, those who are unbelievers, okay? And then he says, basically about those unbelievers, both great and small, standing before God's throne. Watch this, don't miss this. And the books were opened, including the book of life. The books were open, including the book of life. Now, why was the book of life open? It was to basically prove that their name wasn't in it. Are you following me? It says, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. Verse 13 says, and all were judged according to their deeds. Once again, second phase. This is where their actions, their words, their motives, their secret thoughts, their intentions are going to be... uh, Basically, where they're going to give account. It's where they're going to be judged. Now, here's something that's really interesting. Notice it says the books were open, and then the book of life was open. So what's the other books? The other books is simply where all of his actions, deeds, thoughts, all of those things, intentions, motives of his heart, all of that is where all that was recorded. Are you following me? Listen, I can't prove this scripturally, but I've heard people that have seen the other side just take this with a grain of salt, that literally say that they, they have seen angels follow us around. And basically the angels are scroll, scroll angels. And, and what they do is when they, we do stuff, they write it down. And they write it down. And they write it down. Because why? Because there's going to be a day where the books are going to be opened. And what's the books about? It's about our lives. Are you all following me today? It's a humbling thought, isn't it? And then it says this in verse 15 about Michael's group. It says, and anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So once again, the outcome of this investigation will be the degree or the measure of the eternal punishment that these people will receive. Are you following me today? Now, obviously, once again, just as the ultimate goal is heaven and you come in with different rewards uh, over here, everybody's going to hell. But, but now what's decided is the degree of the torment that those people will suffer. 
Give these guys a hand. All right. I, you know, let me give you two thoughts before we dive into where we're really going today. I think it's really, really important that we solidify in our hearts today that hell is a real place where real people will spend a real eternity. Do you get that? The hell isn't a figment, figment of our imagination. I'm, I'm so amazed by how many Christians are like, heaven's real, but they don't want to acknowledge hell's real. Right? And so, once again, hell is a real place where real people will spend a real eternity. You know, hell is not what you hear a lot of people say. It's not a figment of somebody's imagination. It's not a state of mind. It's not a circumstance that somebody's going through where they're going, man, I'm going through hell. No, you're not. You're going through a tough spot. Are you following me? And, and hell is not what, uh, you know, I heard people say back in the day, I'm sure you heard that hell's some party where all their friends are getting together. Uh, you know, that's ignorance. Yes? So, you, you know, kind of if you're going to send the goal today is to erase what just people say that's just wrong and go, okay, what does God say? Right? What does the book say? Yes? So the second thought I want to give you here is this, and, and I just feel like I need to say this to you. Uh, that it's important that we realize that Jesus uh, discussed hell frequently. In fact, it's been said, I've never counted it, but that, that, that he actually discussed hell more than he discussed heaven. So l- listen to this, okay? Uh, is, is Jesus God? Yes. That should have been the best yes I got all day. Yes, he's God, okay? Um, so is God love? Yes. Is he compassionate? Yes. yes. Okay, so that should tell us that is neither, as some would teach, a lack of compassion or a lack of love to warn people about the dangers of hell. You know, it's like we have this, this underlining deal in the church right now that if you mention hell, somehow you don't understand the love of God. No, you understand the love of God greater. Right? You, you know, the Apostle Paul, I think he knew something about love. In fact, he wrote the chapter about it. Okay? He said that we should basically watch how we live our lives of knowing about the great day of terror that's coming of standing before the Lord. Are y'all with me? There's a balance to all of this. It, you know, once again, I've told you a hundred times, we can go all in that the holiness stuff. And if we go all in, we're going to get legalistic. If we go all into the love of God, guess what? We're going to miss the holiness of God. We've got to have a balance with all that. Amen? Amen? Listen, there's, yes, there's ditches on both sides. It's our job to stay in the middle. Amen? So, so listen, I, I just think... That the Bible teaches the exact opposite of what those people think. Okay, I, I think that it is a um, it is very much an act of love and an act of compassion to tell people about the dangers of hell. But but listen, your motive and how you say it and the way you say it is what determine if it's right or wrong. Okay, but because we still have a call in this room, if we recognize it or not. In Jude twenty three, the Bible tells us that God has called us to snatch people out of the fire. You understand that? that that's, in other words, it's not just a preacher's job. It is every believer's job. We're all called to be soul winners. You, you know, I, I, you know, whatever, to have a goofy moment here. I, you know, what if I said, hey, who wants to be dumb in here? Nobody wants to be dumb, right? Hopefully not, right? Um, you, you know, Proverbs says this, he who wins souls is what? Wise. Wise. So we need people that are of wisdom, that they understand that they're soul winners. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, here we go. 
So what I want to do today is, yes, uh, we have heaven. Yes, we have hell. In two weeks uh, after the Brits here, we're, we're going to talk about heaven. Today we're going to focus on hell. Okay? And, uh, and so if you're taking notes today, um, I would encourage you to write this down. If you're not taking notes today, I would encourage you to write this down. Okay? So let, let me give you ten characteristics, <coughs> ten characteristics of hell. And we are going to uh, go with this. Um, speedily so it doesn't feel like I'm giving you a, a great long list of ten things. You guys ready? Yeah. Number one. The Bible describes hell as this, and all these first three easy, you all know it. Number one, that describes hell as a place of fire. As a place of fire. Revelation 20, 15, I'm going to read out of the Amplified, different translation what we read earlier, but it says this. And if anyone's name was not found recorded in the book of life, he was hurled into the lake of what? Fire. All right. Number two, the Bible describes hell as a bottomless pit. Revelation 20, verse one says this, says, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit. Okay. So number one, we see it's a place of fire. Number two, we see it's a bottomless pit. Number three, that it's an endless place. It's an endless place. Let me read the scripture to you. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse nine says, these people will pay the penalty and endure the punishment of what? Give me the next two words. All right, let's try that again. Here we go. These people will pay the penalty and endure the punishment of what? Everlasting destruction. destruction. Banishment from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. Now watch this, okay? To me, that's probably, that's, you're away from him. Are you following me? You're away from him. But listen, I don't know, maybe oh, 15 years ago now, something like that, maybe 16 years ago, I had the opportunity uh, to go to one of my heroes in the face house. And, uh, and he's long been passed away, but his son owned the house. And um, anyway, so it's the late Leonard Ravenhill. So I, I read pretty much almost every book that he's written. And... Um, Anyway, so I got to go to his house, and I was there hanging out with Pastor Tommy, who a lot of you guys know, and, uh, and David Ravenhill, his son. And, and we had a chance to rearrange the library. If you know me, I like books. And, and so I was just like in heaven in many ways. I'm just, you know, anyways, it was nice. But as we're sitting in that office, and in fact, some of you guys know Teen Challenge. David Wilkerson's the guy that uh, started Teen Challenge. He actually built that library for Leonard Ravenhill. So it was just really cool in a lot of ways. So anyway, so when you, when you walk in the library, it's shaped like an L. You come here and you turned and, and when I turned I saw two signs uh, that were in Leonard Ravenhill's office okay the, the first one uh, was on the uh, basically the uh, I'm not a carpenter here I'm having this moment the beam going across all right so so basically the header there we go the header going across there was a wooden sign that simply said this it said eternity and then on the other side of that uh, that area there was a sign that simply said this you throw up that Leonard Ravenhill quote. This was a sign. It simply said, no exits in hell. That every day when he sit there, and he was known to be a man that prayed for six hours a day and then studied the word for another six to eight hours a day, that, that as he sat there, uh, he put that in there to remind himself that, guess what, uh, that there's no exits in hell. Are you all with me? So, so it's this understanding today, when we talk about it being an endless place, um, I, I think we need to honestly have a revelation that hell is final. In other words, no one goes to hell temporarily until they get their act together. You, you know, this isn't grade school, right, where your mom would say, hey, go to your room and get your attitude right. When you get it fixed, you can come out. 
You know, to understand that when we talk about hell, the hell is definite. It's irrevocable. It's irreversible. It's unalterable. It is forever that no one escapes hell. Are you all following me today? If I can maybe change it, if I could say it the way I would say it, I would just say it this way. The hell has no exit. The hell has no exit. All right. So we talked about three things there. Fire, bottomless pit, and it's endless. Now, now let's kind of change gears and talk about what the individual will experience while they're there. Okay? And hopefully this will not be any of us. Number four. Hell is a place of consciousness. The reason I want to say this is because uh, hell is not the place where, where it's basically full of comatose zombies. Right? Um, that it's, it's full of people who are fully awake and fully aware of their surroundings and what's happening to them. Uh, literally, that their minds are still engaged with everything that's going around them and everything that's happening to them. That's really important to understand that. The fifth thing I want to tell you today is this, is that hell is a place of complete loneliness. Jesus said this in Matthew eight twelve. He said that they will be cast into outer darkness. They'll be cast into outer darkness. So when, when Jesus refers to uh, outer darkness, he is saying basically that these people will be completely separated from everything and everyone. In fact, there's theologians that believe that there will actually be what you call a wall of separation uh, that will surround each individual, individual to make them alone and isolated, once again separating them from all forms uh, of just expressions of life. Okay, And there's some other details that I could give you there that we won't go into it, but... Um, to just kind of put it there, that's complete loneliness. Number six, the hell is a place of memories. The hell is a place of memories. Jesus makes this statement three times in, in Mark chapter 9. He says this. He says, where their worm does not die and the fire never goes out. Where their worm does not die. Listen, that's such a strange um, it's just strange, right, where their worm doesn't. So the, the, the translation there for worm actually means maggot. Okay, it means maggot. Now, theologians are divided on this and what it means. There's a group that believe that it means that basically that there's a, a literal maggots that are there that are eating these people's flesh for eternity. Okay, pretty gross. But then there's another group of theologians that, that believe basically that... Uh, these are plaguing thoughts, that, these are, that there's actually a plaguing effect that uh, these people will turn over for eternity again and again in their mind uh, all the times and all the chances that they had to get right with God. And so what happens is, is that, this, that this maggot, that their, that their memories uh, will continually eat away at them forever. You understand that? I, I mean, you know, to kind of put this in perspective, to think that can you imagine... Being in a place and you and you, uh, you know, the individual sat in church, the individual had a conversation in the park, you know, whatever you want to say that wherever uh, Jesus met them where they're at and they had an opportunity to open the heart, and receive that they're going to remember, man, they missed the moment. That's intense. It's sobering, right? So number seven, hell is a place of unquenchable desires. Hell is a place of unquenchable desires. Luke sixteen twenty four. to kind of give you a little background, Jesus uh, actually tells a story, but you've got to understand this story is not a parable. It wasn't make-believe. It was, it was real, okay? And, and there's theological stuff to point out to why it was real, but we won't go there. It was just real. Just know it that way, okay? Uh, but in that story, it talks about a man named Abraham, um, sorry, a, a rich man and a man named Lazarus. 
And the rich man basically lived his life, did whatever he wanted, and then he ended up in hell after he died. And then Lazarus, this guy that was uh, basically uh, a guy that lived in poverty and poor, ended up basically being what we call Abraham's bosom, basically the waiting place to go to heaven. Uh, won't go all into that, but here's what he said, okay? So we're talking about unquenchable desires. It says this in verse 24. It says, The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. He says, send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. So Jesus, obviously we know, as you continue to read, and said what? He said, that's impossible. People can't go from here to there. So there's this understanding that even though these people are going to have, you, you, you know, we've all been on a, on a hot summer day in Maine. That's so funny. <laughs> go south, you'll find out what hot is. Okay, so... But, but we, we've, we've all been there where it's like, man, we've been working hard away. We're just thirsty, right? And, man, we can't wait to get, you know, get, a, get a cold drink, you know, just to get some water and drink it. And, uh, but, but, you know, think about it, that to live eternally with a greater feeling than that and it not being quenched. Number eight. Number eight. Hell is a place of torment and pain. Guys, I know it's in a flashy sermon, but we need to know this stuff, all right? Hell is a place of torment and pain. Uh, the Bible says this in Matthew twenty-two thirteen. Jesus is talking here. He says, Then the king said to his aides, Bind his hands and his feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, if you're anything like me, you think, man, that's just weird. Right? Weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does it mean? Now, obviously, it just in, uh, in normal language, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth means grinding your teeth together. Uh, but, but what I find interesting about this, when you, when you take a step back and you study uh, the language of, of why Jesus picked those words and why he used them, it's, it's pretty eye-opening because Jesus was really intentional how he taught, and, and he would use words that meant something to those people in that day. Fair enough? So here's the language that he used to describe hell. When he talked about weeping and gnashing of teeth, uh, it's, it's this way he was referring to. Basically, that in New Testament times, almost every large city had these large stone walls around it. And obviously, those stone walls uh, were there to protect people, uh, you know, that lived inside of it from intruders. But the thing it also protected them from is from the lions and the, and the prey uh, that lived outside of those walls. Now, watch this. Now, obviously, you know, uh, here, you know, we pay $2 a bag and we go to the dump, right? That $2 hurts me. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, I haven't wrapped my brain around that one yet. We don't do that in South. We just take it to the dump, right? Anyway, so actually they picked it up at my street. But anyways, so what these guys would do, they, they would designate certain places around the wall, and they would dump their trash over the, over the wall, uh, basically on the outside of the city. And obviously if you do that again and again and again, it piles up. Well, part of that uh, trash was obviously there was food that was in it. And so what would happen in the, in the, in the darkest nights of the hour, uh, hours of the night, uh, lions would come and they would prowl through the trash and they would eat the food. Now, watch this. Um, if someone in the town, city, committed a crime, one of their ways of proving if the guy was innocent or guilty or not, true story, is what they would do is they would say, okay, we think so-and-so did it, but we don't have enough evidence to prove he really did it, so we're going to give him a chance to figure out if he's really guilty or not. Well, here's what's his chance. They would tie a rope around him, and in the middle of the night, they would dangle him over the wall. They needed, they needed Matlock. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this was just rough, right? They needed a, That's not legitimate detective stuff, right? So anyways, so they would hang him over the wall, 
And if, if the person was still there the next day, they were innocent. If he was devoured in the middle of the night, we knew he was guilty. Now, now as you can imagine, um, them pulling him, most of the time when they pulled people over the wall, and this is true, by the way, when they pulled people back over the wall, uh, if they weren't devoured, uh, they were literally on the verge of insanity. And, and one of the things that they noticed with those people as they were cast in outer darkness, as they faced that level of fear, you know, with me, that, that suffering, that agony, that insanity, they would literally grind their teeth together so it would almost be powder uh, from in the middle of the night. That's the kind of feeling Jesus was referring to when someone was in hell. Number nine. As you can imagine, with all those things we just mentioned, memories, um, you know, basically being alone, torment, the pain, all of those things, unquenchable desires. Uh, number nine is a place, the hell is a place of no rest. The hell is a place of no rest. Revelations 14.11 says this, says, And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest, or they have no relief. Number ten, last one. Hell is a place of utter hopelessness. You know, in my opinion, it's not that it really matters much in any of this. Uh, but I kind of think that that's probably the worst part. Is that you're literally left in a place of hopelessness because you realize that, guess what? Hell has no exit. That there's no way to escape this. I'll never get peace. This is never going to end. And, you know, just from that, obviously those people are left in a hopeless spot. All right? You all with me? Let's change gears here for a second. You know, it's inevitable when you begin to talk about hell. People, somebody in the crowd uh, is going to come up with this. Basically, if God is such a loving God, why would he ever send someone to a place like that? And, um, you know, while I really understand that question, I can wrap my brain around why people would ask. Uh, but, but if we're the ones asking that, it also should tell us certain things about us. Is it okay to say that? So I, I think there's three things that I'll just give you off the top of my head that if we're asking that question, it says that about us. And the first one is this, is that, is that we don't, um, first of all, understand that, um, I said this way, of who hell was really made for. We don't understand who hell was really made for. See, see, the Bible tells us in Matthew 25, and once again, either Jesus said it, meant it, or he didn't, right? But it says in Matthew 25, 41, it says that hell was made for Satan and the demons, not people. So to understand that when God originally made hell, it was not for folks. It wasn't for people, right? Are you all with me? The second thing it tells me if we're struggling with that question is this, is that we really don't understand the heart of God. And let me let me explain why I'm saying it that way. And I'm not trying to come off strong, but just trying to give you the way I view it, okay? Is this, is, is we need to ask ourselves a question, is, is why did Jesus come? Why did he come, right? Why did he die for us? Um, did he not say that he wishes none would perish? Now, now what, watch, this, watch this verse that's found in Ezekiel. In my opinion, that should blow that whole thought process out the water. Look at this. It says, do you not think, it's God talking, do you not think that I like to see, do you think that I like to see wicked people die? Get that. This is God talking. Do you think that I like to see wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. Why is God, why is God so troubled 
Why does he not find pleasure in it when someone wicked dies? It's because he knows the, he knows the outcome, right? And to understand that, that it was the love of God that Jesus came. It was the love of God in action that caused him to die for us. It was the love of God that he rose from the dead. Are you hearing me today? It was the love of God in action. And so let, let me maybe, maybe even ask you this, and this may sound, but when, you know, I'm a practical fellow. Um, how many of you, by a show of hands, a little interaction here, by a show of hands, have someone in your family that you just wish would get saved? All right. I'm with you, man. I, I got every toe wiggling in this. All right? And I got some friends that I would love to see get saved that, that I pray for. And, you know, but let me ask you a question. Because they have not listened to us and accept our advice, does that mean we're mean too? Does that mean we're angry and we don't love them? Are, are, are y'all seeing this here? So here's God who has done way more than any of us in that process. We pray, right? God came and died. Y'all follow me? He came and died. And, and, and yet we're going to wave the finger at him and say he doesn't love people. Well, we've got to wave it back at ourselves because obviously we don't love him either. Are y'all following me? It's just really that simple that we accuse God of things. It's like, do, do we stop and just really think about what we're saying? Are y'all following me today? Third one is this. As we wrestle with that is, is then we really don't understand how we were created. You understand that the Bible says that, that, guess what, that God created us with a free will. And when we are created with a free will, that means we have a freedom of choice. Amen? So, so listen, even though we were created at the same time to have this ability to walk with God, to talk with God, to commune with God, to have intimacy with God, we are still free to move in another direction if we desire. To understand that God calls us, we have a freedom to respond or not. Are y'all following me? Yes? But we've got to understand this about all people, all people, that having a free will comes with a personal responsibility. Yes? Listen, which means that, guess what, that we are held accountable for our actions. But not only are we held accountable for our actions, we're also held accountable for where we will spend eternity. It, you know, listen, it's really, really simple, guys. Um, you know, I can come, I can come to, to Ben and say, Ben, uh, my family would love for you to come to our house Thursday night to have dinner. And we could go and we could prepare, man, that big old table we have at our house that's 11 feet long and weighs about 550,000 pounds, right? Uh, and we could, we could put a spread out on that thing. And we could be anticipating at 7 o'clock on Thursday night, Ben's going to come. 7 o'clock comes, he's not here. Okay, maybe he's running a little late, 7.30, 8 o'clock, 9.30. He still had a free, free will to come or not. Are you with me? But, but that doesn't negate my love for that, for him, right? It's the same thing in the kingdom. Yeah? Amen. It's really that simple. Um, let, let me kind of give you a thought. This may be a little straightforward, but let's, let's really get the image here. You, you know, I've heard a lot of people in 20 years say, well, what about them people in Africa? Can I be honest with y'all? For the life of me, I can't figure out why people are so concerned about people in Africa when they're not even concerned about their neighbors. Y'all following me? It's amazing that I can put my fist up at God and go, what about those people? And he's saying, what about Jim that lives next door? Have you talked to him? Y'all following me? Because see, there's something about that, guess what? 
Um, Jesus died. He did his part. He did his part. Now, guess what? Um, he continues to do his part by drawing people. But we also, the Bible says, and, and second, fat, let's just have a come to Jesus meeting right here. All right? If you got your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Y'all all right? Good, because I'm not done. <laughs> I'm playing. I'm kidding. I so love y'all. Y'all are awesome. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I've said this before, but we'll say it again because it connects here. Y'all found it yet? Good job. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, we all celebrate it, right? We're all thankful for it. Therefore, if anyone's a Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Hallelujah. It's good. Let's keep reading. It says, Now all things are God, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. We are like that part. Woo, we're right with God. What's the next part? And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh-oh. Do you understand? In other words, Jesus said, what I've done for you, now you need to go and invite people to accept what I've done for you. It's your job, it's your responsibility to now go tell them. This says in verse 19, it says, that is, here's what the ministry of reconciliation is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's the gospel. Verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Can it get any clearer than that? To understand that, that God has called us, that we have a mandate. We have a mandate, gang. And we're in a tough region. But the region's not tougher than God. Okay? That we have a mandate to go tell people about Jesus. Right? And here's the truth. Can I, can I shoot straight with y'all? Can I shoot straight with y'all? I, I've been hanging around for two years. All right? Two years. Long time. Two years. And here's what I've realized more than anything. Those people out there don't want to hear from guys that stand right there. They want to hear from y'all. You know why? Because the people that have stood here, they've really made a mess of things. All right? Not all of them. But, but there's some that have just brought straight legalism and shoved it down people's throats that people don't want the gospel they preach. But, but listen, the greatest gospel message that will ever be preached is your life. You understand that? Now, let me give you a comment here. I, I love the quote that says, preach all the time, uh, sometimes with your mouth. Okay? But can I be honest with you? There comes a time your mouth needs to work. In other words, there comes a time where, where my just being good needs to shift over to now I have an opportunity that God's given me. Yes? And so when that opportunity comes, guess what? It is your responsibility to be equipped. I am not there. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in your earpiece saying, say this. <laughs> right? You got to know it. Yes? Yes, so I'll piggyback. My wife says that. Uh, John... John uh, 1426, 26 says, In that day, the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance what God has put in you. Okay? But, but here's the thing, though. There's a key part of that. You've got to put it in it so it can come out of it. Amen? So today is really this. Okay? It's not to make anybody feel bad. It's, it's just to go, hey, guys, there's a real hell. Right? We're, we're, just, we're just walking the scripture. There's a real hell, and there's real people that are going there. They're going to spend a real eternity there. But we have an opportunity to, to, to make sure they don't go there. 
right? It's our job to just give them opportunities. It's God's job to do the drawing and saving. Are you all with me today? Can you stand to your feet, please? Rachel, can you play? You guys all right? Awesome. There's two waters up here, and I'm not sure which one's mine. I think it's that one. All right. I have kissed her before, so it'll be all right. Amen. If you don't mind, just close your eyes. You know, on one side today, there's there's a deep gratitude that man, you know, that we can we can see the reality of hell and thank God that He rescued us from it. Amen. That's something to celebrate. You, you know, when the word when the word that those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that word means rescued. That's what we were rescued from. So, Amen. Right? Hallelujah. Um, but there might be a chance today that everybody hasn't had that rescued moment, that, that they haven't been uh, saved. And so today, what we want to do before we close, listen, it's top priority that if you have never said, man, I, I that first part of the investigation, that where I said, Jesus, I believe the gospel and I surrender to it. I give you ownership of my life. I give you all of me. I surrender to your will. That if we've never had that moment, man, we need to today. I love what the Bible says. Today is the day. Today is the day. So please don't wait till tomorrow. Please don't wait the next day. Man, the moment's here. If your heart's pounding, it's a really good indicator that you're, that you're not really sure. So if that's you today and you say, Pastor, I need to get right with God today. Man, man I, I, need to, I need to get saved. Understand this, that it's not because we're getting saved because the fire. No, God's good. It's the goodness of God that leads us there. And it's what he saved you from. So if you're here today and you say, I need to get right with God, uh, lift, lift both hands, please, and just keep them up. You have both hands up. Awesome. I love these moments. Everybody look up. Everybody look around the room. Look at all the people with their hands up. Y'all see anybody? You know what that tells me? That we're not inviting anybody. Listen, I, 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 I'm not saying to, man, please understand my heart here. Part of the way I see my responsibility from heaven is, yes, to train you guys, to shepherd you, to, to, to all those things so you can be equipped to do the work of the ministry, as the Bible says. But, but, but also I feel like a part of this is we, we partner with you guys, right? In other words, you, we all have friends, right, that we're trying to get here, yes, and, and that we want to invite and all those things. And, and listen, that, that I want us to have the confidence, and this is on me ultimately, that when you guys uh, get a friend here, get a family member here, that there's going to be a call and give people an opportunity. But, man, we've got to take advantage of that. Yes? So, so, so once again, that isn't making anybody feel bad. It's just, a, it's just a, to deposit a thought in you that says, man, maybe, maybe I, can't, I can't answer everything to Rachel to tell her every question she's got. But, man, maybe if I can get her where the presence of God's moving, then maybe God will soften her heart and he can do something that I can never do. Are y'all with me? Yes. All right. Close your eyes again. If you just say this today, Jesus, I want a greater passion for souls. Throw up both hands. 
See, there's things that I've prayed for years. I just say, God, I, God, the things that wreck your heart, I want them to wreck my heart. Just in your own words, in your own moments, say, man, God, let, let me care for people like you care for them. Let me love them like you love them. Man, he's the one that came to save them. Father, today with our hands lifted up, God, we're just asking as a church, God, as your people, God, that we would have a burden for the lost. God, that we would have a burden for the lost. God, that there would be a day that, you know, that we couldn't just go into Hannaford's and go out of Hannaford's and go about our day and never think about, man, these people have a, have a, a reckoning day coming. That they have a day of judgment that's coming to them. And Lord, that, that it's come what, that we're just kind of okay with that. So Father, we just ask today, God, that you would just give us your heart. God, help us to see people like you see them. God, help us to, to hear them like you hear them. God, let us feel in our heart like you feel for them in your heart. God, just increase, God, our heart to the greater measure of compassion and a greater measure of love for the lost. And Father, we're just asking God today that not only would you give us courage to open our mouth when those moments are there, but God, that you would help us to be disciplined enough to learn what we need to learn so we can have an answer. God, you're the one that said we need to be ready in season and out of season. And so, Lord, we just pray, God, that we would be people that are ready, that are ready, God, when you open that door, that we're not afraid to walk through it. In fact, God, help us to, to discern and know when the door's open and when we need to step through it and what we need to say when we get there. Y'all believe for that? Let me put your hands down. Let me say this to you. My experience, please don't think that you're going to know the whole conversation before you enter into it. Yes? I mean, I mean, listen, when you started whatever job you have now, you didn't know what all it would tell. They told you it was going to be great. And then you went, oh, they didn't tell me about this. Of course not, because you probably wouldn't have taken it. Right? But, but listen, it's, it, none of us have the ability to know it from A to Z. So just understand that when you step in the door, man, just walk through. God opens the door, walk through it, and guess what? He's going to fill your mouth as you go the rest of the way. Amen? And, and, and here's the thing. It's okay to tell people, you know, I don't really know. But I'll find out. And then follow up with that. Amen? Amen. All right. So, Father, thank you for just giving us courage to be soul winners. God, fill our hearts with boldness. God, help us understand that we do have a great commission. And, God, that's to not only just see people saved, but also to make disciples. And so, Lord, thank you today for just branding in our hearts as only you can, going deep. God, in our hearts that, yes, we're living for eternity. But, God, other people are running there quickly as well. And, God, they need the opportunity to hear the gospel. So, Lord, thank you for doing what only you can do in our hearts. Seal it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Awesome. Um, we're done. <laughs> so thank you for coming today. Here's what I want to encourage you guys. If you want to come to the altar and pray, you can come pray. We'll play some music. Um, today, if you're like, man, I'm hungry. Like, I can't eat nothing today. I'm hungry. And, uh, and, and if you want to say, man, I want to get to know that couple over there, that person over there, man, invite them to go to lunch with you. Uh, you, you know, just hang out with each other, okay? Spend some time. Don't run out. Let, let, let's get to know folks. Here, here's what I, and last thing, Vicki, is, um, last thing is this, is that uh, I'm amazed that we got a really small church here. And I'm amazed how many people say, you know, I don't know so-and-so. Never met them. We're pretty small. So, so I'd encourage you to walk, walk over three aisles. Say, hey, man, my name is. 
Is that okay to say that? Look, we're the body. We're the family. We've got to get to know each other, right? Yes? Family reunion. Okay? Just don't marry your cousin. All right? We're not in West Virginia. All right? Anyways. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today.